as we were having the Lord's Supper, um, you know, you, you focus sort of on different things at different times as we go through the Lord's Supper. And today I was very aware of the noise of children among us. And uh, I don't say that as a criticism. I didn't hear any child misbehaving. But, you know, when you have children in a group, there's just going to be some movement. There's going to be a few sounds here and there. And to me, those are just music to my ears, especially during communion. Uh, I would never want to be a part of a church that didn't have children and, and a lot of children. And also, I'm grateful to be a part of a church that brings our children into our worship, and they worship with us, and they witness the Lord's Supper, and they hear the readings, and all of that's very important. In fact, as I've mentioned several times before, uh, in studying faith formation, uh, the most one single most important factor in forming a person's faith is the worship experience. There's a lot of things that go into that. So I'm glad they're here. So I don't know. I just wanted to say that. And I know sometimes some of you parents sit there and wish your child would be a little quieter. It's okay. It's okay. Um, It just reminds us that we are blessed with new life here at Johnson Street. Uh, We're going to be reading from 2 Kings uh, chapter 2 today. And the reading is a little lengthier than I like to do for a text reading. But there's no place to stop until we get to the end of the story. So as compensation of that, I'm going to let you remain seated for the reading, and then we'll stand to sing later. 2 Kings chapter 2. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Are you keeping up with the Elijahs and the Elisha? Elijah is the older prophet who is leaving. Elisha is the one who's about to take his place. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me on to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. And there the company of prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? And Elisha replies, yes, I know, but I don't want to talk about it. Do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. So as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly 
a chariot of fire and horses of fire, appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. He picked up the cloak that had, been fought, that had fallen from Elijah, went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. And then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. May God bless the reading of his word, and let's stand and sing together. Association, I say chariots of fire, and you say movie. <laughs> Maybe even the theme song of the movie for some of us who were around, what was that, it's been at least 20, not 30 years ago that that movie came out, but it won Best Picture and has survived, and it seems like even younger folks know about it. And so anytime you talk about chariots of fire, you think of the movie, you think of the Olympics, uh, all that wonderful story that was told. However, the term did not originate with the movie. It originated back here in Scripture, in this story of Elijah and Elisha. And in fact, the terminology chariots of fire occurs three times in the life of Elisha. It's very much wrapped up into his life and to his story. And it serves a very definite purpose for Elisha. And I hope if after we spend just a few minutes with this story, that chariots of fire will serve a purpose in your life as well. Because in the life of Elisha, chariots of fire was his touch with reality. Chariots of fire are what marked for him what was real and determined then what he did, where he went, and what happened in his life. A few years ago, in fact, it's been a number of years ago, back when we were living here before, before we ran off to East Texas and got all moldy and wet out there, I bought a Ford Fiesta. Now, I understand that Ford has brought back their Fiesta. It looks a little different than mine. The Fiesta that I bought way back then was about this big. And this was right after gasoline really started going up. Before then, we drove these huge cars with those huge steering wheels. I miss those steering wheels, don't you? And you drove these big old cars, and you didn't care that you were getting 9 or 10 miles a gallon because gasoline cost 29 cents. You know, what did it matter? But then all of a sudden, gasoline started going up, and we all ran out and bought these little bitty cars. And I bought this little bitty Ford Fiesta. And it was an amazing car. It did get amazing mileage. I was getting over 30 miles a gallon, which back then was like, wow, you know. So anyway, it came time for me to go to Dallas to a ministry conference. And as I was getting ready to leave, I remembered I didn't get the oil changed in the Fiesta. And it was way overdue. I, needed to, I just hated to run it on the road without getting the oil changed. So I thought, well, I'll just get it changed on the way out of town. So I stopped at one of those little quick lube places, got the oil changed, got in the car, and took off. Drove to Fort Worth, stopped at a convenience store, and didn't really need gasoline. I'd only burned like a gallon and a half to get there. 
But I thought, I want a Coke. I want to get out and stretch my legs. I'll go ahead and top off the gas too. So I pulled up to the gas pump, put the gallon and a half in, went in, bought my Coke. I'm standing there in line holding my Coke. You know how these moments sometimes are frozen in your mind? Standing there holding my Coke, waiting in line to pay. Someone comes running in from the outside yelling, there's a car on fire outside. I thought, well, that'll be interesting to see. (laughs) So I walk over to the window and there it is. It's the red fiesta. I mean, smoke is just billowing out of that thing. So everybody's panicking. The fire department is called. We're thinking this thing's going to blow up right by these gas pumps. You know, it's my car. I feel somewhat responsible for all these people. So I run out there, and a couple of guys are out there, and we push it away from the gas pumps and push it out. Well, by the time the fire department gets there, it had had gone out on its own, but it was pretty much toasted. Uh, Come to find out, that when I stopped at the oil change place, they had put five quarts in a car, in that car, five quarts of oil, which is normally what goes in a car. That one held three. So in my trip to Fort Worth, I was gathering up all this extra oil. It was gathering up in, in my uh, air cleaner area there. And then when I stopped and the wind stopped blowing it back, it started dripping out and burned. Well, it changed the reality of that car forever. Uh, the car was never very good after that, no matter how much work I had done on it. It still, if I drove it too long, it tended to catch on fire. And, and so... I didn't have enough money to buy a new car, so I just had to figure out how far I could drive without my car catching on fire. From that day forward, we referred to it as the Flaming Fiesta. Uh, Had a big burn spot on the hood. It was cool looking. But anyway, that car defined my travel realities because, you know, I could only go so far. It, It sort of limited where I could go and what I could do if I were driving that car. Well, the chariots of fire for Elisha were sort of like the flaming fiesta for me. They determined his reality. They determined what he could do, where he could go. But rather than putting limitations on him, they set him free. Let's look very quickly at this story just to get it refreshed in our mind and and see how these things did this. Why, Why was it about the chariots of fire? that set him free. Well, Elisha is introduced back in 1 Kings. We read in 2 Kings chapter 2. He's introduced in 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, if you've never read anything in 1 Kings, you do need to read 1 Kings 19. It is really a pinnacle point in the book of 1 Kings. It's that part where Elijah the prophet has run away and he's, he's moping and complaining to God that, that nobody likes him, that, that God has abandoned him, that there are no prophets left in the land, and he's just going to sit down and die. Remember that story there? And God tells him uh, that you know, to go up to Mount Horeb and wait for him there, and he does, and he's on Mount Horeb. And there the, he, he, he witnesses uh, you know, the, the mighty earthquake and the fire and the wind, and, but God doesn't speak to him in all of that. And then all of a sudden he hears that small, still voice. And he goes out of the cave that he had been in, and God says, Elijah, for one thing, I haven't forgotten you. For another thing, you're not the only guy left, and I'm going to give you some things to do. And he gives him three tasks to perform. And two of those tasks are to go and to anoint some new kings 
for two different countries. But the third task is to go find his successor. Go find a young man that's going to take over for you. His name is Elisha. So Elijah leaves Mount Horeb, and even though that's the third thing that God listed, and I don't know, some people wonder about why he sort of reversed the order, but he goes first and finds Elisha. And Elisha is a farmer, and Elisha is out plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. That's a big tractor. You know, you can imagine, I, I, just visualize in your mind, 12, and I think that means like 24 oxen. You know, 12 yoke of oxen all strung out there, and Elisha's walking behind them, plowing the field. I don't know if that's because there had been a drought there, and the field was so hard, it took that much muscle power to break up the land. I don't know. But Elisha's plowing along, and as he's working, and, you know, he's listening to his iPod, he's really, you know, focused in what he's doing. All of a sudden, it goes dark, because Elijah has walked by, taken his mantle off, And I apologize for the NIV once again. It says cloak. Mantle is the word because mantle means so much more, doesn't it? It has a lot of uh, connotation there about taking on someone's mantle. Well, Elijah takes his mantle off and just walks by Elisha and throws it over the top of him and just keeps on walking. So you can imagine Elisha, he's going, what's this, what's this? And he throws it off and he looks up and there's Elijah, the prophet, someone that he is well acquainted with. Everybody knew Elijah and he looks and it's his mantle. Well, he immediately knew what that was all about. Wow, Elijah was passing the mantle to him. Now, at first he thought, oh, I don't know if I want to do this or not. And a little resistant. Elisha several times in his life seems to be resistant to change. Now, I know all of you just love it when you get to change your routine. But Elisha was sort of like, ah, you know, I'm a farmer, got mom and dad at home. I don't. He, so he asked Elijah, can I, can I at least go say bye to mom and dad? Give mom a kiss goodbye. Elijah's reply is, you can do whatever you want to. I don't care what you do. Which is kind of like, oh, maybe I better, you know, get on this quick. So Elisha jumps into it whole hog, or maybe we ought to say whole oxen. Uh, He takes all those oxen and he chops them up and he throws a big barbecue. Uh, In other words, he sells the farm. He sells all his equipment. He's not going to be a farmer anymore. Has all the people over. They eat the oxen. He can't go back and work anymore. Doesn't have any tools left. And then he follows Elijah. Now, you would think at that point we would hear a lot about Elisha, but we don't. Elisha sort of disappears from the story until chapter 2 of 2 Kings, where it's time for Elijah to leave. Now, this story is told very well. I, I hope if you don't develop any other appreciation for the Old Testament, develop the appreciation for how well the stories are told. They are so well crafted. Now, at the very beginning of the story, we find out that Elijah's about to go off in a whirlwind. So whenever they tell you the punchline at the beginning of the story, that's not really the punchline. They always save that for the end. So you know that's not the real point. The point is what's going to happen with Elisha. So the day comes whenever Elijah's going to go away, and and Elijah turns to Elisha and says, you know, God is telling me to go to Bethel. I've got to go to Bethel. You need to stay here. Elisha says, "Uh uh-uh, where you go, I'm going. I'm not staying behind. So he he stays with him. So they go to Bethel. Out of Bethel comes this group of prophets. They go over to Elisha and say, do you know that Elijah's leaving you today? That God is going to take him away from you today? Isn't that amazing that they knew that too? Elijah knows it. It seems like Elisha knows it. 
Because he says, yeah, I know, and I don't want to talk about that. Uh, Elisha's not real keen on this idea, evidently. It's, it's, it's changed. Things are going to really be different now. Let's not talk about it. Elijah says, well, I'm going on to Jericho. Why don't you stay here at Bethel? Elisha says, uh-uh, I'm going with you. So off they go to Jericho. Same thing happens. Prophets come out. They tell Elisha, hey, don't you know that your master is going to be taken away from you today? He says, yep, I know it, and hush, just don't talk about it. We're not going to talk about that. Elijah says, I'm supposed to go across the Jordan River. You need to stay here. Elisha says, no, I'm going with you. So they go to the Jordan River. The prophets kind of follow behind. There's 50 of them because they're all curious what's going to happen too. They get to the Jordan River. Elijah takes that mantle off, rolls it up, hits the water, and it separates. And they cross the Jordan and go to the other side where it's close to Mount Nebo, by the way, which is interesting. There's a lot of Moses in this story as well. Uh, Moses died on Mount Nebo. They're very near Mount Nebo. The parting of the water. Doesn't that sound a lot like Moses stuff going on? But let's not get distracted. Okay, put that out of your mind. We didn't talk about that. They go across and they're walking and they're talking I don't know what they're talking about. Maybe Elisha is trying to change the subject. Maybe Elisha doesn't want to talk about all of this. But finally, Elijah says, I'm leaving. What do you want me to do before I leave? What can I give you before I leave you? And Elisha says, I want a double portion of your spirit. Now, to our ears, that may sound like what he's asking for. He wants twice as much power as Elijah had. But that's not what he's saying. The double portion means he wants the oldest son inheritance. Uh, Anytime a father passed away back then, the eldest son, the oldest son, got twice as much property as all the other sons put together. Some of you older sons just looked up at me like, it sounds fair to me. (laughs) Well, they got the double portion because that put you in control. You were now, you had the majority share of the property. You were now the head of the family. So really what Elisha is asking for is that out of all the prophets in Israel, he wanted to be the one that was the successor to Elijah. He wanted to, to be the eldest son of all the prophets. Elijah says, you know, that's not mine to give. I can't promise you that. But I tell you what, if God allows you to see me taken up, into heaven. If you, if you are give, given the gift of seeing me do that, then obviously he has chosen you. It will be yours. But if not, then I, you won't have it at all. So they're walking on, they're still talking, and then all of a sudden, there it is. The chariot of fire and the horses of fire. Now, notice that Elijah didn't go into heaven in the chariot of fire. How did, how did he go into heaven? In the whirlwind, that's right. He, along with Enoch, who we talked about you know, way back the first of Genesis, of Genesis uh, where he was taken in some form up into heaven. Elijah's not going to die, but it's a whirlwind that comes after him. But the chariots of fire separate in between Elijah and Elisha. They're walking along. All of a sudden, here come these fiery horses and chariots, and they just push in between so that Elisha is separated from him. And then he looks over, and he sees as as Elijah then ascends up into heaven, and he runs after him yelling, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel. There's the punchline. Something that we can easily read right over. Now, you would think he would say, The chariots of fire, the horses of fire. He says, No, 
the chariots and horses of Israel. Because he got it. He understood. His reality changed right then and there. Because he realized that the little nation of Israel was not just this little podunk country in the backwater area that all the big boys were able just to run right over. All the people like the Egypts and the Assyrias and the Babylonias, all these, these great world powers were able to use as a pawn. But rather, the nation of Israel was a nation that had at its disposal the chariots and the horsemen of God, the chariots and the horses of fire. And that changed how he saw things from then on out. For example, the next story where these show up is a story in 2 Kings chapter 6. Another familiar story that, that, that most of you know, where uh, the king of Aram, it gets frustrated because the king of Israel always seems to know what he's doing, you know, all his plans, and he thinks he has a mole. He thinks, not a mole, like, you know, he has someone in his, you know, that's telling, tipping off all the plans, and he calls his guys and he says, we've got a problem. We've got a spy amongst us that's going and telling the king of Israel what we're doing. And the guy said, no, no, no. It's not among us. It's the prophet Elisha. He knows what you're doing. He knows what you talk about in your bedroom. And he goes and tells the king of Israel. So he says, well, we're going to go get this guy. So overnight, he gets all his chariots, all his horses, all his men, and they surround the little town of Dothan where Elisha's living with his servants. And when the servant wakes up and looks out the window in the morning, he sees around the whole perimeter chariots and horses and, and military. And he just goes, oh, no, we're defeated. You know, what are we going to do? We're dead. Elijah, Elisha, I mean, gets up and says, uh-uh. Praise to the Lord. Lord, open his eyes. And when the, when the servant looks up again, he not only sees the chariots of Aram, what does he see? The chariots of fire. There they are. That's why Elisha says, it's going to be okay. Because we can see what God is doing, that God will take care of us. The last time it occurs is when Elisha's dying and a wicked old king comes to see him. And he says, oh, you're dying. You know, what are we going to do? And he says, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Because he recognized, too, that Elisha got it, that he saw it. How can we live our lives unless we see the chariots of fire? If you live your life without seeing the chariots of fire, you're living your life as if this world is all there is. You're living your life as if it, that you're going to find peace, happiness, security in what is touchable and what is here. And you are going to be so frustrated because it just won't work. The passage that is often paired with this comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is Paul talking about our chariots of fire. Our chariots of fire is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled from those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 
There are so many people that just don't understand it. They don't understand what Christ is all about. They don't understand about how living with Christ opens up all kinds of possibilities in your life. They just don't understand how whenever your reality embraces the idea that the Son of God lived for you, died for you, and was raised from the dead before you, and that His Spirit comes and lives within you, that that changes your reality. It changes where you go and what you do. It changes changes what you're able to do and what you're able to cope with. It changes your goal of where you're headed. And it changes how you seek to find your happiness and your fulfillment and, 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 and your peace here upon this earth. It changes everything. Paul goes on to say, We do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. For it is the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness who has shone into our hearts to give us this light of the knowledge of the glory of God, and that light is found in the face of Jesus Christ. Stories like the story of Elisha remind us that if you're trying to live your life without the chariots, if you're trying to live your life without the reality of Jesus Christ, then you're never going to find what peace, what security, and the eternal promise that God has placed in our hearts. If you're trying to live your life unaware of that or in opposition to it. You know, sometimes we are aware of all of that, but we decide that we can do it differently. That we can keep some things in our lives that God has said are not good to be there. That we can keep some attitudes that God has said are not good. We can be the exception and we can live a nice, fulfilled, happy life even though we are going counter to the power that God has put before us. This story tells us it won't work. That the only way we can make it is to lift up our eyes and to see the chariots of fire. The only way that we can make it is to lift up our eyes and to see that Jesus is truly the Son of God and that He lives for us and with us. And from that point on, we begin to decide where we'll go and what we'll do. It defines our reality, those flaming chariots that run before us. Let's stand and sing.